السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ويوم حنين إذ أعجبتكم كثرتكم فلم تغني عنكم شيئا وضاقت عليكم الأرض بما رحبت ثم وليتم مدبرين ثم أنزل الله سكينته على رسوله وعلى المؤمنين وأنزل جنودا لم تروها وعذب الذين كفروا وذلك جزاء الكافرين صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله as we're now coming to a close to our synopsis and our summary of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam um we're about in now the 20th year of nubuwwat the 20th year of prophethood um and the 8th year of hijri and now we have a few more events till the demise and the death of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you know one of those events uh major events uh, you would say is uh the battle of hunain uh followed by the the battle of uh, uh, uh followed followed up with the uh battle of tabuk and then the farewell hajj the hajjatul wida of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and within those three um events there's small events that also occur but these are the main ones that will be occurring uh in the next few days inshallah and inshallah in about 3 days i would say we will finish the the synopsis and summary of the seerah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam now if we remember the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has now recently uh conquested makka and has taken over uh makka after the treaty of hudaybiyah being broken and we spoke about yesterday how the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he rode in with an army um of about 10,000 muslims and they took over makkah and they cleansed it with all the, from all its idols and all these things that were in makkah at that time and at that you know uh uh taking over of makkah was not just something that was uh, externally where they took control of it from the city side but also internally where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh gave forgiveness and amnesty to everybody that was harming him for their last you know 20 some years and so this was a event that uh it was a very great event and a very great achievement for the muslims so when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was marching towards uh makkah at the time when it was not known that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was intending to go to makkah there was uh, the tribe of hawazin which was a uh, eastern tribe east of makkah and they thought that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was coming towards them and so they started preparing for the muslims to come attack and remember this is the same tribe that time after time they were giving the muslims a lot of hard times and they would ally against the muslims to fight the muslims so now after the fath of makkah the only great powers that are left that can actually put up a, a an army and fight the muslims 
are, are the tribe of Hawazin and then the tribe of Banu Thaqif. And Banu Thaqif, you know, in the Arabian Peninsula, they were about number two in the Arabian Peninsula. The Quraysh, they were known for their nobility and their, uh, their might, and they were number one. And right after that was Banu Thaqif, who's, uh, who, who lived in uh, uh, Ta'if. So now, when the Prophet ﷺ, he took control of uh, Mecca by the end of Ramadan, with a, within the last, you know, you can say the last uh, 10 nights or 10 days of the month of Ramadan, by the 27th, I believe the entire uh, uh, city of Mecca was under the control of the Prophet ﷺ. And so the tribes of Hawazin and the tribes of Banu Thaqif. So they started thinking that, you know, the Prophet ﷺ has conquered his, his land. And now he's taken over of Mecca. Now, what is it that he's going to go and attack next? So they thought to themselves that next is going to be us. So why don't we take the initiative and why don't we... Uh, instead of waiting for an attack or something, why don't we attack the Muslims? So they started gathering an army, and this is right after the Fath of Mecca. So in Shawwal, which is you know a few days after the Fath of Mecca, they start gathering an army. And when the Muslims, they found out, the Prophet ﷺ also set out with an army. Now what's interesting is, is in this battle, the... The Hawazin and the Thaqif, they elected their, their leader Malik bin Auf, who was a young person, a young man. And to kind of compliment his uh, uh, youth, he took a veteran of about 30 years of warfare who has experience and he knew how to fight. And uh, he was well versed in the, the, the tactics of war. And so what he does is he takes out, Malik takes out the children, the women, the animals, the livestock of every single person in the army. And his thinking was that the men, they're going to fight with their hearts. Either they're going to come as vic uh, victors and win. Or if they lose, they have a lot more to lose because now they're not only going to lose the battle, they'll also lose their children, their women, and their animals, their, their properties. And this is a nomadic culture, so this is... A, Losing their livestock and losing uh, uh, these possessions is everything for them, right? This is their their uh, entire life. So when this uh, uh, veteran who was experienced in the art of war, he hears that there's uh, animals and there's kids and there's children in the background. He asks uh, uh, Malik, you know, what is this? Why do I hear all of these children and everything? And so he tells him about his plan about how to encourage the army to keep fighting and fight uh, courageously. And so he tells them that this is not the way that we do it. If we lose, then not only do you lose the battle, you will also lose your family members. You will be disgraced. So he doesn't take any heed. And according to one narration, he even says, if the people don't listen to me, you know, he's going to uh, commit suicide. And the people, the Thaqif and the uh, Banu Thaqif and the uh, Banu Hawazin, they listen to him, to their commander. So now, this is after the, the Fath of Mecca, about a week, two weeks um, after conquering Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ, he sets out with all the individuals that came from Medina, 
the 10,000, along with about 2,000 of the people in Mecca. And now, if you look at it, they're supporting the Prophet ﷺ. Just a few days ago, they accepted Islam, and some of them did not accept Islam. So in the army of Rasulullah ﷺ, not only did you have the Ansar, the ones from Medina, the Muhajirun, the ones who migrated, but you also have fresh and new Muslims that just became Muslims uh, after the Fath of Mecca. Right? And not only that, you have non-Muslims also. So you have individuals that were from Mecca that didn't accept Islam. But because now Rasulullah is the conqueror of Mecca, he is the leader of Mecca now, they set out to also preserve Mecca and to protect Mecca from this army that is coming. And so look at the time frame that about 20th of Ramadan was when the conquest of Mecca happened. Everything was wrapped up about 27th of Ramadan. And now the Prophet ﷺ sets out to face this army on the 6th of Shawwal. Right? And now what kind of army is this? Uh, this is a, an army about 20,000. Right? About 8,000 more than the Muslims. And now they're coming and they're uh, uh, collecting to attack Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ sets out and uh, uh, he puts a person in charge of Mecca while he's away. And the, the Muslims, you know, you can see their spirits. They came from being prosecuted and being tormented and being uh, uh, abused to now finally taking over the city that was uh, uh, launching all of these attacks against them. So their attitude and their spirits are at a high that, you know, nothing can conquer us. Now, especially when they go out and they're facing this army, uh, they, they get this attitude that, you know, nothing can conquer us. And the reason they get that attitude is they're looking at the numbers and they're looking at how many individuals are fighting with them. Now, what's uh, uh, in every single battle that the Muslims were facing, they were outnumbered. Whether it's uh, every single major battle, right? And the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum and the spirit of Islam was never to look at the physical and outward appearances. And that is a very big lesson for us. Because if we look at it, even in our life, we'll see things that outwardly we don't understand or outwardly we can make sense of it. And similarly, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, every single time they were outnumbered, they never looked at the numbers. And if they had looked at the numbers, then they would have lost. Because logically, it doesn't make sense. And when we go through things in life, sometimes we don't understand why we're going through this. The, the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hikmat and wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not apparent to us. And who are we that it should be apparent to? But there is a hidden plan. And so when they put their sights on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they put their tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory after victory, even though they were outnumbered one, two, three. And, you know, uh, in the last battle that we talked about, they were outnumbered 60 to one, right? So this is, even though they're outnumbered, because of their tawakkul and their, the faith that they had in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and not looking at the apparent and what is happening that, uh, uh, from their eyes that they're looking, but rather the eyes of their, their foresight and their hearts. So the Muslims, they, they said, That we're not going to be overpowered due to our uh, few numbers. And they're looking at the numbers. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions 
uh, he descended ayat that and on the day of Hunayn, wayoma Hunaynin, if a'jabatkum kathratukum, that your numbers it made you happy. Falan tughniyankum shay'a and that that looking at those numbers and looking at the physical, it didn't benefit you in the least bit. And the earth closed upon you despite its vastness. And we'll, we'll speak about what that part of the ayat means. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he's setting out. And right before they enter this, so they're going easter inside towards Ta'if. And in that area, they come to a, a valley. And this valley is called Hunayn. And this is the uh, valley where the battle actually happens. And so the Prophet ﷺ, before he descends into this uh, valley, he calls out and he calls and gives everybody that is fighting a standard and sets the ranks and the, the, uh, um, you know, the rows of the army. And so when he does this, on the other side, which the, the Muslims don't know yet, is the 20,000 that have collected themselves, they put their children and their livestock and all their family and all the belongings that they brought to encourage the warriors to keep fighting hard. They put them in a valley called uh, Autas. And they continued into the valley of Hunayn. Now, in the valley of Hunayn, they uh, uh, went to the sides, not the main path, but they went to the sides and they hid. And they, uh, uh, you know, they hid themselves so that way when the enemy comes, meaning the Muslims come and they're crossing the bridges and crossing that, that path in the valley, they can attack and descend from both sides and attack the Muslims. So this was their plan that they wanted to ambush the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ, he, after setting the, the, the army, he starts going into the valley of Hunayn. Now, they didn't immediately start attacking. They waited that the, the army of the Muslims was in such a way that every single person from the 20,000, they can unleash an attack. And so what happened is they all came and started attacking the Muslims. And so uh, in a sense, you know, like I mentioned before, you have Muslims, the Ansar and Muhajirun. You have newly converted Muslims who just became Muslims maybe two, three weeks ago, you know, in the Fatah of Makkah. And then you have non-Muslims because now uh, uh, Rasulullah is the leader of the, the, the city of Makkah. So now uh, as allegiance and to abide by, you know, the leader, they're also coming out and fighting to protect Makkah. So all three of these groups, you can see their reaction now. So now there's a, uh, uh, from all sides, swords are coming down and the ambush is in full strike now. And the Muslims, they start panicking and they get in an environment of chaos. And the ones in the front, they start going back. And the ones in the back, they don't know what's happening. So now they're rushing back. And soon what's happening is, is everybody is, you know, uh, dismayed and there's chaos everywhere. But... The Prophet Sallallahu along with some few companions, they were steadfast. And so the Prophet Sallallahu he calls and he calls everybody to come towards me. You know, you can imagine the battle scene. Everybody is now in chaos. There's, uh, uh, they weren't even 
uh, ready for the attack. And they mentioned this was right after dawn. So it's not even that illuminated yet. It's still a little dark. And there's enemies coming from every side that are attacking them and ambushing them. So the Prophet ﷺ calls them out. And he calls the companions out to come to him. And he calls the Ansar, he calls the Muhajirun. And he says, uh, Oh, the ones that took the oath under the tree. And if we remember the tree, referring to the tree in Hudaybiyah. And what was that oath? That they took an oath that no matter what happens, we're going to be on the battlefield, we're going to fight with you till death. And that was the Bay'atul Ridwan. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ, he tells Abbas who his uncle, who had a very loud voice. And he says, call everybody and call the ones that have taken that oath under that tree. And at the same time, Rasulullah starts saying this, uh, this couplet. He says, That I am the Prophet and this is not a lie. I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. So just, just take a moment and just kind of realize what the Prophet is saying. Number one, on the first part, he's saying that I am a prophet. There's no doubt. There's no lie about this. And I'm not just anybody random here. I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. So now look at the three groups that were there. The Muslims, they, they came rushing to the Prophet they, they became firm when they heard the call from the Prophet Where are the ones that took a promise under the tree? So they remember that their oath, that you know, we, we set out and we're going to fight till death. So they came to the Prophet ﷺ, Ansar, Muhajirun, they came back. And now the Prophet ﷺ is reminding the ones that just became Muslim and the ones from Makkah that Abdul Muttalib, that I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. That the Quraysh, they respected their family ties. So when they heard this, they said, oh, you know, this is our family member. Where are we running off to? And so they came back to the Prophet ﷺ and they formed their lines again. Another thing is that there were some... Makkans that were not Muslim. And when they saw that the Muslims were getting, you know, uh, uh, chased out and this, this chaos was happening, they started smirking and they said, you know, now the sorcery that the Muslims had over the armies and their opponents, now it's gone. There's no way that Muhammad's going to be able to bring back this army. And so when they saw the fact that now Rasulullah by calling them out and, and uh, 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 bringing them back has now again aligned the army and made the ranks again, this was something that was a miracle. You know, it was uh, nothing short of a miracle for them. And at this time, a lot of them, they saw this, that this is a real prophet. This is not somebody that is just uh, somebody fake. So they uh, uh, accepted Islam at that time. Now, this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ ثُمَّ وَلَّيْتُمْ مُدْبِرِينَ That the earth closed upon you. That when the enemy attacked, you had nowhere to go. And the earth closed upon you despite its fastest, and you turned retreating. You ran back. And then what happens? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتُهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descended His tranquility and His peace upon His messenger and the believers. وَأَنزَلَ جُنُودًا لَمْ تَرَوْهَا and he descended an army that you, could, you did not see. And he punished the ones that disbelieved. And that is the punishment for the rejectors. So 
This is the, the, the battle that is happening for Hunayn. And now with this fortified uh, uh, hearts, now the Prophet ﷺ is now leading them. And there is this, uh, uh, you know, like a blanket of tranquility that is descending. And one narration even mentions one companion, he sees uh, like a black blanket of ants coming down. And the ants are dispersing everywhere. And then later on, he, he realized that this was the army of Malaika that were coming to assist the Muslims. They were coming to uh, uh, be in the army of the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ, he continued and now they took over. And one thing that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, while the battle was continuing, he took some soil and he said, Shahat al-wujuh, may their faces be disfigured. And he blew into that sand and that sand went into the eyes and you know, uh, uh, distracted all the opponents. And so as the battle is now coming to an end with the Prophet ﷺ leading it, now there were 70 people from Hunayn and Thaqif that died and they started retreating. And there's three groups. There's one group that goes to Ta'if and retreats into Ta'if. And there's one group that goes to Nakhla, a valley in, uh, called Nakhla, and then Autas where the children, cattle and everything is. So the Prophet ﷺ sends uh, one group of Muslims to Autas to uh, uh, combat them and another one to Nakhla. And then he himself, he tells the Sahaba عنهم, to take all the spoils and all the booty that now they have uh, uh, received on the battlefield and take it to a place called Jairana. And it mentions there was so much that, remember, uh, the Hawazin and the Thaqif, they brought all their things, right? They brought all their positions, they brought everything. And one narration mentions when the Prophet ﷺ, he heard that they brought their women, children, livestock and everything. He says, inshallah, this will be in the hands of the Muslims. And this is not, they made the job easier because now when they, Muslims uh, defeat the army, they don't have to go take their positions. It's already there. They don't have to go round up the cattle. They don't have to round up the livestock. It's already there for the spoils. So, the Prophet ﷺ had them collected in Jairana. And now, when the Prophet ﷺ, after they, they collected it, and now they took over in Autas also, and now even there, they have more spoils. They have the, uh, the family of the opponents, and the, their wealth, their merchandise, their livestock, and everything. It, it, was, it was a huge amount of wealth. And the Prophet ﷺ then directed his direction towards Ta'if. Now Ta'if, it's, uh, uh, you know, the way it is, is different than Mecca. Mecca has uh, valleys and has a very dry climate. Ta'if was different. You know, you can say like the way that, you know, we live, people vacation in Florida because of the nice weather, the greenery, and, uh, uh, you know, just try to get away from things. Similarly, the Quraysh and the people in Mecca, they used to go vacation in Ta'if. That was their vacation spot. And they would go there, nice orchard, breezes coming in, and it's a fortified hill, hill, hilly area that you know uh, nothing can just come and attack. So the Prophet ﷺ goes there, and the leader of the, the Ta'if and Hawazin, Malik bin Auf, what he does is he reaches Ta'if. When he retreated, he reaches Ta'if, and he stocks up. And he stocks up on food for a year. And some narrations even mention he stocked up for food for more, more than one year. So 
they're in their uh, uh, their forts, and the Muslims they're trying the archers they're throwing rocks. Nothing is working. They're trying to scale the walls, and the people in Taif they're putting you know uh, molten steel and hot steel upon them, and so nothing is working. Khalid bin Walid he goes challenges the people every single day. He'll go there and says, anybody wants to come fight me, come fight me right now. And nobody shows up. Nobody wants to go against Khalid bin Walid. And so the Prophet ﷺ in this siege, he announces that anybody from Ta'if who is a slave, who wants to come out, they can come out and they will be set free. So about, you know, uh, one narration mentions 12 to 13 or somewhere uh, 23 uh, people come out and they become freed. And now still this, uh, this uh, siege is continuing. There's no way that uh, it's going on either side. The Muslims even try uh, using a catapult and try to throw and break the walls, but that even doesn't work. And so the Prophet ﷺ, what he does is he chops down their orchards that are in front of them. And remember, this is, this is a city that values itself on its greenery and its, its uh, gardens and its orchards and its uh, scenery that, you know, the... The rich in the Mecca would go and seclude themselves and they have a nice summer home and relax and enjoy themselves there. And this was the same city, if we remember, um, before Hijrah, this was the Prophet ﷺ went and gave message of Islam but was chased out of this same city. So the Prophet ﷺ chops their, their orchards, but then he stops because they're pleading to the Prophet ﷺ by Allah, by the name of Allah that he shouldn't continue and he shouldn't chop their, their orchards. So for 20 days, this continues. And so finally, the Prophet ﷺ sees a dream where uh, in this dream, he's been given a, a, a cup of milk. And in that cup, he sees that a bird comes and pecks at that cup and breaks that cup. So he asks and he consults uh, um, the Sahaba ﷺ. One of the companions, he was experienced and he says, that he, he describes it in this way that the fox, meaning the enemy, has rushed to its den. And if you remain here, you will capture it. But if you leave, they won't harm you anymore. Meaning that they're not going to come and attack uh, the Muslims and they're not going to harm you anymore. So the Prophet ﷺ, after 20 days, he decides to you know, fight another day that it's not worth it and he leaves. And while he's leaving, some, some companions, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you curse Ta'if? Why don't you put a... Remember, the dua of a Prophet, it, it's uh, accepted. So he says, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you curse Ta'if? And so this is the second time that the opportunity or the uh, uh, opportunity to curse Ta'if came up. The first time when he was chased out and he was harmed. And now when they're besieging after 20 days of no advance... They say, curse Ta'if and they'll fall to us. And so the Prophet ﷺ, instead of cursing, he makes dua for them. That, oh Allah, guide the people of Ta'if and rescue them. And he's saying, rescue them from disbelief. And so the Prophet ﷺ makes this dua and the dua of the Prophet is always accepted. So we'll see that the Muslims didn't even have to fight. The people of Ta'if came as Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ, now he leaves Ta'if and now he goes to the, the area of uh, Jirana, which is the area where all the spoils and all the uh, spoils of war has been collected. And there he waits for the Banu Hawazin and Banu Thaqif.
Remember, they have their family members. All their family members, they took out. Regardless, uh, 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 even though the experienced uh, generals, they told them, don't take them out. But, you know, the leader Malik bin Auf, he thought he, he was doing something amazing and something good. So he took them out. And now the Muslims, they have all their, um, you know, spoils. They have their family members. They have their wealth and everything. So Rasulullah wasallam, out of his compassion, he waits for the people, for Hawazin to come. For 10 days, 12 days, he waits. But they don't show up. And so when they don't show up, he does what is needed and he starts distributing the, the spoils of war. And he distributed amongst the Sahaba and uh, 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 one-fifth went to the family of the Prophet wasallam. And now when the Prophet wasallam started distributing, there was another issue that came up. So... Remember, like I mentioned before, there were three groups. One were the Muslims that were there from before the conquest of Mecca. Another was a group that was just became Muslim. You know, uh, now they're you know twenty days plus another uh, uh, ten days, about a month into their Islam. And so they they've accepted Islam, but they're not so firm in their Deen. And then the last group is ones that are uh, you know seeing all of the Muslims. They're not Muslims yet. They're seeing all this interaction with the Muslims. And they're thinking about Islam. So the Prophet wasallam. this is where the ayat of, uh, I believe, Surah Tawbah were revealed. In the Masadaqatu lil till the end. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells where the places where these uh, people can get money. And so the Prophet wasallam. One, one of the places was Mu'allafati Qulubuhum. That to join the hearts of the ones that disbelieve, so they come closer to Islam. So the Prophet wasallam gave a lot to the, the, the Quraysh, to the Meccans, to the ones who had barely accepted Islam. And he gave them a lot. It mentions Abu Sufyan, who was the commander-in-chief of the Quraysh, who's been fighting the Muslims for about 20 years. He got 1,600 dirhams, and he got 100 camels. Both of his sons each got 100 camels. Now, that was a big number. Safwan bin, uh, 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 bin Umayyah, who was another uh, uh, leader and staunch enemy of Islam, who was not Muslim of, uh, right now. He's, he sees this, uh, uh, he's with the Prophet wasallam, and he sees this whole valley of livestock and animals and camels and this and that. And so the Prophet wasallam, he sees this and he sees Safwan that, you know, does this amaze you? And he says, yes, of course, this is amazing wealth. This is uh, uh, something that is good. Remember, he's not Muslim yet. And then what the Prophet wasallam says is, everything that you see and everything, all the livestock is all yours. So now you can imagine that the Prophet ﷺ is giving a huge share to those that just became Muslims and the ones that are not even Muslims. And so Safwan, he sees this and he says, you know, uh, uh, to, to the meaning that he says, the compassion that you have, no ordinary man can have that kind of compassion. You have to be a prophet. You have to have divine uh, uh, enablement. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you. That is why, then that's the only way that you were able to have such kind of compassion. And so the Ansar, they, they are seeing this. And now the Ansar, they start complaining. And not the Ansar, all of them, but the young Ansar, you know, the young blood. They start complaining that, you know, we've been fighting and we've been with the Prophet ﷺ much, much longer than any of, these, uh, any of these guys. And how is it that the Prophet ﷺ is giving them such a big spoil in, their, in the war and we're getting nothing. So they even think, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, our, they, they, they say this one statement that our, our swords are still dripping with blood of, uh, of battle. But then who's getting the, the first in line? Who's the first ones in line to get the spoils? Is these people, the Makkans, and the ones that are not even Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ, uh, he heard about this. And he told uh, Sa'ad, Sa'ad bin Ubadah to assemble the, the companions, the Ansar. And he wanted to speak to them privately. And so the Prophet ﷺ, when he assembled the Ansar, he says that uh, he first addresses their issue. That, you know, you've said that you don't, uh, you have displeasure for the goods that I have given to such and such people so that they can embrace Islam. And remember, in those three types, the Prophet ﷺ gave more to the ones that were just on the brink of accepting Islam. If not, they accepted Islam, but they're not fortified yet. But he continues in, uh, in speaking to uh, uh, the Ansar and he says that I've trusted you with Islam. And he says, are you not satisfied? It was a lengthy uh, uh, khutbah. But then he says, are you not satisfied that these men, they're taking sheep and goat and they're taking these kind of worldly things back and you, the Ansar, are going to be taking the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala back. And he said, I swear by Allah that if there was no hijrah, meaning if there was no migration, I would want to be from those that are from Ansar, that he loves them so much. He's showing their, his love for them. That I love the Ansar so much that I would want to be from you people. And if everybody took one path and the Ansar took another path, I love you so much that I would, be, I would want to take the path that you're taking. And... He made dua for them that, Oh Allah, have mercy upon the Ansar and the sons of Ansar and the sons of the sons of Ansar. And the, when the Prophet is saying this, you know, you can imagine their hearts are trembling, they're crying. And it mentions that they cried so much that their beards, they became wet out of their tears. That the Prophet how could we think something like this about the Prophet And how can we complain when we have Rasulullah we want Rasulullah we don't care about this goats and camels and all this other stuff. So, the Prophet uh, uh, when he said this, they were happy and they, they were satisfied. And now, what happens is, the Hawazin, after all of these days, they finally come to the Prophet And remember, the Hawazin were the eastern tribes in, in, uh, in Mecca, and this is also the place where the Prophet Sallallahu uh, foster mother, the Banu Sa'ad, they were part of the Banu Hawazin. They were part of Hawazin. And so they, one group comes and they're saying, uh, you know, you're our foster son, you're our foster brother. Uh, another group comes and they're pleading on the behalf of the Hawazin that now we've become Muslims. And not only that, um, you know, the people in Ta'if that were uh, in their stronghold, they came and they started asking the Prophet ﷺ as Muslims now. You know, the, they didn't even have to complete the fight. They came to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked the Prophet ﷺ for their wealth and their family back. But now the Prophet ﷺ had already distributed it. So now you, you can't take somebody else's possession. Even though uh, uh, legally the Prophet ﷺ could have done it. So he says... That now since he has already been distributed, you have a choice. Either pick that you want the wealth, the livestock and the goods and gold and silver and weapons and everything. 
Or do you want your families, your children and your wives and grandmas, city, uh, sisters and all these things? So they, they say that, you know, uh, we want our families. So the Prophet ﷺ, he says, all the, the wealth that I have controlled to, meaning the wealth of the Banu Hashim and the wealth of Banu Abdul Muttalib, as, as the leader of, of those two tribes, he says that you can have those back. But as for the other companions, I cannot say. So what you should do is the next day, um, in after I pray the prayers, stand up, announce to everybody of your Islam and show them that you are Muslim. And I will, I will intercede on your behalf and I will recommend that the other companions also release their, their prisoners. So the Prophet ﷺ, exactly the next day, they stood up and they confessed their Islam and they asked the Prophet ﷺ for their, uh, their families back. And the Prophet ﷺ said, anything that is from Hashim and Abdul Muttalib, I already give it back. And then he told all the companions that I also recommend that you also give their families back. So at that day, everybody gave their captives back. About 6,000 people were released. 6,000. Except three uh, companions that didn't give it back. And then the Prophet ﷺ bartered with them. And then eventually they also uh, took the barter of the Prophet ﷺ uh, and... Took, uh, took that instead of their captives. So now the people in the eastern side of Mecca, the Banu Hawazin, Banu Thaqif, Ta'if, they're now also now in uh, alliance and Muslims. And what happens is, uh, you know, another interesting thing really quick I'll mention is one of the people that come, as they, I, I mentioned, they claim the, the foster brothers and foster uh, family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of them, she said that she was the foster sister of the Prophet ﷺ. So she was brought to the Prophet ﷺ and she says, you know, I am your foster sister. And uh, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, remember, they're very young when they were, they were uh, uh, the Prophet ﷺ was with the Banu Sa'ad. So she says, you know, uh, when you were a baby, when you were a child, you bit me over here. And uh, she describes the whole thing. And the Prophet ﷺ knows that this is now his foster sister. And now he honors her. So he, he, uh, uh, when he's sending her back, he tells her that you can either go back to your tribe or you can be with me and I will take care of you and everything. You know, this is his sister and the foster sister. So another lesson you learn from this is if this is the relationship that people have or, or people should be having with their uh, siblings, imagine this is a foster sister. How should the, uh, uh, the, the relationship be with the blood sister, blood brothers? That the Prophet is honoring her and saying that, uh, and he gave her a lot of gifts and honored her, made her sit in a, in a respectful way and all of these different things. This is just the foster sister. So imagine the relationship that should be done with the blood relatives. So finally, the Prophet wasallam, he set out uh, from Mecca um, at 6 Shawwal and now in Dhul Qada, which is about a month, uh, 8th of Dhul Qada, he leaves the area of Jairana for Mecca and he does the Umrah. This is the second Umrah of the Prophet ﷺ. He finishes his Umrah. He leaves a person that is in charge of Mecca and he leaves a teacher, Mu'adh bin Jabal in Mecca as, as a teacher to teach the Meccans about Islam and about Deen. And then after uh, two months of leaving Medina, he returns back to the city of Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ, uh, uh, 
in in one narration he tells the Ansar and the uh, uh, people of Medina they were getting scared that the Prophet ﷺ has conquered Mecca now. Now he's gonna stay here. So he tells them that I am from you and I will be with you and uh, my death is with you. Meaning that I will live in Medina. Uh, Mecca is not my home anymore. Right. So he goes even though the Mecca is the most uh, uh, blessed and spiritual place, but the the ruhaniyat and the spirituality is now is going to Medina. So the the Prophet ﷺ, he goes to Medina. And he left uh, people in charge in Mecca to take care of uh, affairs and also to teach the people. Inshallah, the next event that we'll speak about is uh, the Battle of uh, Tabuk and the events that took place. Like I mentioned before, we have about, inshallah, the plan is to finish on uh, Wednesday, inshallah. Uh, so we have about uh, two, three major events. And along with those, we'll mention some uh, uh, other events also, the minor events. But we have the Battle of Tabuk and then followed up with the Hajjatul Wuda and uh, the delegations and the other things that happen in the middle. Inshallah, by Wednesday, we'll uh, finish our synopsis and our summary of the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us a tawfiq to understand this. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us good in this life and good in the hereafter. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala allow us to follow the footsteps of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and to lead our lives as He would want us to lead our lives. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, fill our hearts with the love and compassion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhru da'wana anil alhamdulillah rabbil